0: Well, this evening, I want to continue um, both along um, the line that we've been looking at for the last two Sunday mornings. If, uh, if you've been with us in the mornings, um, not this Sunday, last Sunday, we looked at um, the life of uh, Daniel. You know, like how many of you went to Sunday school maybe when you were younger or like you had assemblies in school and you'd hear like Bible stories and stuff? Wow, okay, I thought there'd be more people. But, um, so chances are, even if you never grew up going to church, uh, even if you never, like this is your first time stepping foot in a church, my guess is there's a couple of Bible stories that you've probably at least heard of. And my guess would be, you've probably heard of Daniel in the lion's den. Um, and if you've been in church, I hope you've heard Daniel in the lion's den. Well, last Sunday, we looked at Daniel in the lion's den and we saw how, it, you know, it wasn't actually Daniel's faith which saved him. It was Daniel's faithfulness and God's faithfulness to Daniel, that in the midst of it, that um, King Darius, as he's throwing uh, Daniel into the lion's den, he says, may your God, whom you serve continually, save you. And he did. And then this morning, we looked at David and Goliath. And um, again, you've probably heard David and Goliath, you know, like this small little boy goes against a giant with five stones with a sling, and Goliath is slain. And in that, we saw that it was Daniel's, uh, Daniel's, David's response to God's faithfulness that led him to an act of faith in the moment. And stepping out in faith, Goliath fell. But what happens if you have had no faith in the past what happens if you're like God I've never really thought about you before I've never had faith in you I've never experienced your faithfulness in my life as far as I know where does that leave you where does that leave you? Because we see God delivered Daniel in response to Daniel's faithfulness and as an act of God's faithfulness to Daniel. We see David, David, he went up again against Goliath as an act of faith in response to what God had done in his life in the past. He said, God delivered me from the lions, God delivered me from the bears, and God will deliver me from this Philistine. He'll deliver me from Goliath. But what happens if you have never had faith? What happens if you've never thought, you've never considered, you've never been that bothered with God in the past? Where does that leave you? And for a couple of moments, I want to read a story. It's a, it's a man who met Jesus at arguably the least convenient time in his life, but also the most important moment in his life. And this account, it's, it is a story, but it's a true story. Sometimes when we use the word story, we think they're always made up. But no, this is a, a true story. This really happened. And I wanted to uh, read it to you. It's from Luke chapter 23, starting with verse 32. This was probably, if you were thinking of all the opportunities you had to meet Jesus, I guarantee this would not be the opportunity that you would choose. But it was also this man's only opportunity to meet Jesus and this is what it says this is Jesus he's heading to the cross it says there were also two others criminals led with him to be put to death and when they had come to the place called Calvary they uh, uh, there they crucified him and the criminals one on the right hand and the other on the left then Jesus said father Forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots, and the people stood looking on, but even the rulers with them sneered, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Christ, the, uh, the chosen of God. The soldiers also mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And an inscription was also written over him in letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew, this is the king of the Jews. Then one of the criminals who were, uh, who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you're the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, Today you will be with me in paradise. That is the word of the Lord. Arguably the worst moment to meet Jesus. Like, if you haven't yet met Jesus, Jesus is the most important person you will ever meet. And I don't know about you, But there's sometimes those really, really important people that you meet. And I don't know who it would be in your world. I don't know if maybe for you it would be meeting the king. Maybe for you it would be meeting a great sports star. Like, you know, maybe if Lionel Messi like walked up to you and said, hey, it's good to meet you. Maybe it would, you know, be like, you know, a CEO of a big company. Like if Bill Gates, founder of Microsoft, was to walk up to you. Maybe they were some of the big people who you would like to meet. And I don't know about you, but whoever the person who you'd like, I would love to meet them. Chances are you don't want to meet them when you're in pain, when you're suffering, when you're naked, dying on a cross. You probably don't want to meet them right then and there. You probably want to meet them when you're, you know, you're dressed in your finery, you've had a shower, you've put on, you know, like your finest uh, deodorant. If you don't normally wear deodorant, you've put on deodorant and probably you want to meet them when you're in that situation. But for this man, this was his only opportunity to meet Jesus, And although, if I say, he didn't have much of a life on earth left to change, but it changed his eternity. This man had probably no history of real relationship with God. I mean, he was a, remember, he was a a member of the Jewish nation. He was one who, they were given the law of Moses. They were given what was right and what was wrong. And whatever he did in his life, it led him to the point where he was dying under punishment of Rome, dying the worst death that he could be punished with, dying on a cross. And it's at that moment that he got to meet Jesus. Jesus. But the way this is laid out, it's it's a really interesting contrast. Because as you're working it down, remember, Jesus, by this time, he's he's been uh, arrested by the temple guard. He's been arrested by the Romans. He was handed over to the governor. He was beaten. He was taken to King Herod, where he was mocked. He was handed back to the Romans, where he was beaten some more. And then he's taken to the cross having um, carried the cross, collapsed under the weight of it, collapsed under exhaustion of suffering, where they then took a man who um, called Simon, and they got him to carry Jesus' cross, and now he's hanging there, suffering. He was on the cross for about six hours, and this is prob- probably you know, getting towards the end of his time on the cross here. And... The contrast of what is happening on the cross is interesting. Because you see a couple of different groups of people mentioned here. You see um, the, the religious rulers, they were there watching. You have the soldiers, they were there watching. And you have the criminals who are hanging there on crosses next to him watching what is happening. And the first group, these, uh, these religious rulers, these rulers of the people, in verse 35, it says, And the people stood looking on, but even the rulers with them sneered, saying, He saved others, let him save himself if he is the Christ, the chosen of God. And sneering, you know, it's not really a word we use, but it's kind of like, you know when people are like... <laughs> They're like laughing, like, you know, pointing and making fun of. That's what sneering is. And they were looking at Jesus. Bear in mind, these were the people who were meant to have recognized who Jesus really was. They were the ones who were tasked by God saying, keep an eye out for the Messiah, when he comes, he's going to do these things. You're not going to know he's the Messiah by how, by how he looks. You're not going to know he's the Messiah by the fact that he has a halo around his head. You're not going to know that he's my chosen savior by there's going to be a radio announcer going presenting. Je- oh, I thought I would catch my microphone. Presenting Jesus Christ, the Messiah. You're not going to have anything like that. You'll know he's the Messiah by what he does. He'll heal the sick. He'll cleanse the lepers. He'll raise the dead. He'll give sight to the blind. By these things, you will know he is the chosen of God. They saw Jesus do all of these things, and they rejected him. And now he's hanging there on a cross, dying in front of them. And what do they do? They turn, sneering, making fun of and they say, he saved others. So they're recognizing in a, in, in a sneering, in a making fun of way. But they're saying, we saw him save other people. We were there when he told that paralytic man, stand up and walk. We were there when he turned back to us, knowing what we were saying in our thoughts, still a little bit weirded about that, but where he he read our minds and he said, so that you may know the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, stand up and walk. We were there when he raised Lazarus from the dead. We were there when he raised that girl from the dead. We heard the reports of when he healed the ten lepers. We were there when he gave the man who was born blind sight. He saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ. What a, quite frankly, rude thing to do. They're standing there. They're recognizing that Jesus saved other people. And they're turning to him and they're saying, if he, since he saved other people, why doesn't he save himself? Almost as if that proves their point. It's kind of like, I don't know if you, you know, if you remember being in an argument like this as a child, hopefully you don't do it now. Have you ever been in an argument and somebody makes a really good point and you don't really know how to respond, so you go, I know you are, but what am I? (laughs) That's basically what they were doing, wasn't it? They were like, well, he saved other people and we can't deny that, so then why doesn't he save himself? These people who were meant to have recognized and been the first to accept Jesus they turn around and they go Pfft, he saved others why doesn't he save himself and then you have these soldiers who they're not just making fun of him they're openly mocking him because you have these religious rulers and they seem to be on the side they're making fun of him but they're not like doing it massively openly but then you have these soldiers and they're mocking him. They're openly making fun of him. And they're saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Because in their, in their mind, because um, at that time, Israel was under the control of Rome. Like the very real state of Israel was under the very real governmental, political control of of the empire of rome and the jews idea and the romans idea is that this messiah who was going to come along the way he was going to save israel is he was going to cause a a great military uprising he was going to kick the romans out of israel and he was going to set the nation free That's what they thought was going to happen. That's what a lot of people were waiting for. As you read, um, and there's a guy called Simon the Zealot. And if you've been watching uh, The Chosen at all, he's the guy who has the big dagger that then gets thrown into the river. And their whole idea was, when the Messiah comes, he's going to need an army. So let's get one ready for him. That was their whole idea. And the Romans are standing here and they're going, well, that was much easier than we thought this is their king? This is their great military leader? If he's the king of the Jews, he can't even save himself. And they stood there mocking him. Those who should have recognized that Jesus was the Messiah, the chosen one, they were standing on the side making fun of him. They were standing on the side making jokes about him, saying he saved other people, that we can't deny, but if he's the Christ, let him save himself. The soldiers standing there, openly mocking him, saying, this is the king of the Jews? He can't even save himself. How is he going to save the whole nation? If you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. And then one of the criminals hanging next to him, one of his own people, It gets a little bit more severe. He says, one of the criminals, uh, sorry, in verse 39, one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, if you are the Christ, save yourself and us. You know what I find interesting about that? Is he went from sneering, making fun of, mocking, to then blaspheming and blaspheming it's another level cuz there's making fun of and there's making jokes about but blaspheming is when you're taking god's name in vain when you're using god's name you're not even joking about it you're dragging his name through the muds you're saying it's of no value it's of no worth but the thing which I find interesting about that is by the religious rulers who were mocking him, by the sol- uh, by, who were snaring at him, the soldiers who were mocking him, and the criminal who was hanging next to him, all of them say, if you're the Christ, save yourself. So it wasn't the criminal turning around and saying, if you're the Christ, save yourself. That was the blasphemy. Do you follow me? Because all of them did it, but he doesn't say all of them blasphemed. The difference with the criminal is he says, if you are the Christ, save yourself and us. Can I suggest to you that and us is the blasphemy? Because he says... Um, in verse 35, the, the, the religious rulers with them sneered, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ. They're saying, if he's the Christ, save himself. Sneering, not blaspheming. Verse 36, the soldiers also mocked him, coming, offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Mocking, not blaspheming. But then in verse 39, one of the criminals who was hanged blasphemed him, saying, if you are the Christ, save yourself and us. Can I suggest to you that turning to the Christ who's hanging on the cross, saying, if you are the Christ, save yourself and us, is blasphemy because that's the only reason he went to the cross. There was no other reason for Jesus to be hanging there. On a level before God, God says the wages of sin is death. The only reason to be hanging on the cross was to die. Jesus, a man, the only man who never sinned, could not be on the cross. For the wages of his own sin. Because he had no sin to die for. On a power level. <clears throat> when he's standing there. And, and the, the, they're coming to arrest him in the garden of Gethsemane. And Peter pulls out a sword and cuts off Malchus. The, the servant of the high priest's ear. And Jesus says, uh, Simon Peter, put your sword away. If I wanted a defense. I could call down 70,000 angels from heaven who would come to my defense. I don't need you to defend me. Jesus was not on the cross because he was not able to be defended. Jesus was not on the cross because he had done anything wrong himself. Even Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, turned back to the the high priest's turned back to them when he was uh, taking Jesus on trial and said, I find nothing wrong with this man. I have no reason to put him to death. He has done nothing wrong. Yet out of pressure from uh, the high priest and out of fear of the Roman emperor, he um, put Jesus to death anyway. But the reason it was blasphemy is because the only reason that Jesus was on the cross was to save those criminals. I don't know what your idea of a savior is. Maybe your idea of a savior is someone that if you were in a car crash, your car was upside down, hanging off the edge of a bridge, then they would be that person who would come and pull you out of the wreckage just as the the car fell off. Maybe your idea is Spider-Man on the Brooklyn Bridge, to be honest. But I don't know what your idea of a savior was. I don't know what, if you think of a savior, I don't know what you picture a savior being like but it's probably not a man hanging on a cross, dying for you. It certainly wasn't for that criminal. He said, if you are the Christ, if you really are the chosen one, the savior of Israel, then save yourself and us. Blaspheming against Jesus, because the only reason Jesus was on the cross was because he was the savior. Not a failed savior, not a failed conqueror, but actually saving them on the cross. You have sneering, you have mocking, you have blaspheming, you have Jesus hanging there, um, them saying, uh, save yourself and us, and without saying anything in return, you can almost hear it him saying, Right now, I am saving you by hanging here next to you. And then, out of the blue, you have this other criminal. No history recorded of him walking with God. No history of him having relationship with Jesus. Probably wasn't one of the ones standing in the crowd talking to Jesus saying, teacher, tell us more. He probably wasn't one of the ones standing or or sitting, listening to the Sermon on the Mount, saying, love your enemies. The fact that he was hanging there on a cross, you know, dying as a criminal. He probably wasn't one who had been trying to follow Jesus' moral teachings. Maybe the first time he ever met Jesus. Maybe the first time he ever heard his voice. And yet something, something changes in this man. And it says, the other, verse 40, the other answering him, rebuked him. That's the first criminal who was blaspheming. Rebuked him saying, do you not even fear God? Seeing we are under the same condemnation. So it's like, they're all hanging there. They're all suffering the same. And it's saying, do you not even fear God? We're suffering just like him. And then he says, we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. Can I ask you, what were, they, what were they hanging on the cross for? Maybe. We don't know. It said they were criminals. It says they'd done something wrong. It doesn't tell us what. But they were there. For whatever crime they committed, they were there dying. And the this this one who's turned into the other, he says, We're dying justly. We're dying because we deserve this for what we did. And I mean, I'm not suggesting that anybody here should be crucified, but the Bible says the wages of sin is death. So whatever they did wrong, that man was right. They deserved to die for what they did. Because what you earn by your sin is death. And can I suggest that that was one of the first of his great revelations? That I deserve this. Him hanging there, I deserve this death for what I did wrong. And for each one of us, I hope you haven't committed murder. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. But there is a wage of death that you have earned before God for your sin. And it is unavoidable. This criminal who turned to the other, this criminal who something was changing in his mind, he recognized it and he was dying for his sin. The other man who didn't recognize it, the other man who, who rejected it, he was still there dying for his sin. Whether you accept it or you don't, there is a wage for your sin that is death. There is What, what you have earned by your sin is death. And all have sinned. Dad spoke on that this afternoon. All have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. All have sinned. God has this standard. You're like, well, I'm I'm better than everybody else I know. But you're not better than God. God is holy. And he says, if you want to be with me, you too must be holy. And this criminal, he turns to the other who was blaspheming Jesus, the, the one who was blaspheming Jesus saying, if you really are the Christ, then save us and yourself. Save yourself and us. And the other one turns to him and says, do you not even fear God? We're suffering just like him. Only we deserve this. We deserve it. We we sinned. We deserve this death that we're dying. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then something changes in him. And he turns to Jesus and he says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. That was a profound, amazing revelation for him. Because for most of the people at the time, their hope was that the kingdom of God coming would be the Romans being pushed out of Israel. But something changes in this man's mind. And at that moment, he realizes no, the kingdom of God is not about a violent military victory. The kingdom of God is about this man, Jesus, who has done nothing wrong, hanging here next to us, dying as a payment for sin. And he says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Remember me. How many of you would love to go and see the White House? All right. Um, how many of you would love to? Uh, um, I don't know. How many of you would love to go to uh, Tyson Fury's house? Some of you are like. I've been to Tyson Fury's house. Uh, oh, come on, work with me, guys. All right. Um, never mind. Let's scrap that. Uh, Cool. Um, Never mind. Okay, so... Oh, I've totally lost my trail of thought now. Like to go to Ronaldo's house, Like to go to Ronaldo's house, okay. So, uh, for Carlos, who's at least cooperating with me, um, you could walk up to Ronaldo's front door. You could knock on it and say, I'd like to come in. How many of you think you'd be let in? But if Ronaldo knew you and you walked up to his front door and said, can I come in? And he recognized your face. He remembered your name. How many of you think you'd be let in? So this criminal who something's changing in his mind, something's changing in his heart. He turns to Jesus and he says, Jesus I know your kingdom isn't about a violent takeover. Your kingdom is about you dying for sin. Remember me when you're in your kingdom. And Jesus turns to him and he says, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Because when that man would die, because not... But a couple of hours later, the Roman guards, they go around, they break their legs, and they die. And this man, so to speak, he goes up and he knocks on the door of Jesus' kingdom. And he says, can I come in? And Jesus, always faithful to his word, turns to him and says, I remember your face. I remember your name. You can come in and you can be with me. You might be in a situation where you're like, I've never even really thought about God. Or maybe I've thought about him, but I've never really taken him seriously. Or maybe even I, 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 I've really like considered some of this stuff, but I've never truly gone, Jesus, I'm all in for you. This man had an opportunity next to Jesus where it wasn't based on anything he'd done in the past. And it wasn't based on anything he could do in the future because his life was only going to last for a couple more hours. It was this one moment where everything boiled down to the fact that the whole reason Jesus was on the cross next to him is because he was there to save them from their sins. And this man not based on 20 years of faithfulness, not based on knowing what God had done for him, but this one moment where the light switched on in his head, faith rose up in his heart, and he said, Lord, I see it. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. I know I'm dying for my sins justly. I know I deserve this. But Lord, would you remember me when you come into your kingdom as king? And Jesus turns to that man and he says, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. There was nothing else to be added for that man. Jesus' death on the cross really was enough to give him entry into God's kingdom. That when that other thief said, if you're the Christ, save yourself and us, Jesus didn't need to prove anything. He didn't need to save himself to prove that he was the Christ. And the whole reason the Christ was on the cross was to save them. All it took was that one act of faith from that man in that moment of desperation. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus responded to him, assuredly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. I don't know where your life has been up until this point. I hope it hasn't been as bad as the criminals. But even if it has, You sat here today. You have that chance to do that one act of faith. Lord, remember me. Because you know, Jesus having died, and he really did die on the cross. Like he didn't faint, he really did die. They stabbed a spear through his heart like he was dead. But having died and spent three days in death, he rose And he said, I have life, and I have life to give you. Follow me. And today, this evening, you have a choice. If you have not already responded to him, where you turn to him and say, Jesus, I I see it. I see where my sin is going to lead me. But Jesus, I see that you died to take away my sin. Jesus, I I see that you are alive and you have life to give me and I want to follow you. And you can turn to him and you can say those same words that that thief said, Lord, remember me. Lord, save me. I want to follow you in your life. And he will always respond with those same words. Today, you will be with me In paradise. Now I hope for you that doesn't mean that within a couple of hours you're going to die. But you know, when you respond to Jesus, your life doesn't begin after the grave. Your life begins right now. So if you turn to Jesus and you say, Jesus, I see it. I see my sin is producing death in me. That the wages of my sin is death. But Jesus... Remember me. Give me your life. I want to follow you. He'll say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. That thief only had that one opportunity. How are you going to use your opportunity this evening? Let's pray. And if you're like, Jesus, I need to respond to you. Jesus, I need to call out to you then why not say some words like I'm going to say now? And you respond to him from your heart and you tell him how much you need him and he'll respond to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Maybe you'll pray something like this. Lord Jesus, thank you that you went to the cross for me. I see and I know that the wages of my sin is death. Jesus, I know that you died to take away my sin. And Jesus, I see that you are alive and have life to give. Jesus, I want to follow you. Remember me save me I'll live my life for you in Jesus name Amen Lord Jesus I just thank you for each one who's here Lord thank you that your good news is always good and it's always news and Lord Jesus I pray for those who responded to you Lord thank you that you say that the moment someone responds to you the moment they say you are Lord and you're risen from the dead they shall be saved Lord, that is your word, and that is our confidence in you. Lord, so I pray for those who've responded tonight. Lord, I pray you'd seal them by your Holy Spirit. And Lord Jesus, that you would use their lives for your glory. Lord, bless each one who's here this evening, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 And if you, if you have responded to the Lord, don't, please don't be shy. The Bible says all of heaven was kind of peering over going, are they going to do it? And they kind of went, wait and we want to join in that rejoicing so if you have responded please come let us know we'd love to pray with you we'd love to rejoice with you of how jesus has changed your life and as we close now there's going to be the ministry team up the front and if you want prayer for anything please come and receive but bless you